0: It's what enables an individual to persevere in accomplishing a goal, despite obstacles, barriers, and ceilings placed in their way, over and over again. On SEN, this is Grit. With Daisy Kears.
1: Welcome to This Is Grit for Victoria Police. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. My guest this week is Lisa Hardiman. Lisa Hardiman is women's football royalty. She did it all. Star player, Victorian coach, passionate administrator. Her patience, determination and thick skin across three decades in the game steered women's football through a difficult period and helped lay the foundations for the AFL women's competition we now celebrate. It's a contribution to the game comparable to Barassi, Sheedy, Blythe. A story in AFLW history that should be told and hopefully one day acknowledged in the AFL Hall of Fame. Lisa is also the Acting Assistant Police Commissioner and we caught up at Victoria Police Headquarters. I've found myself inside the Victorian Police (laughs) Centre but don't worry, I didn't do it. I'm here to catch up with footy royalty uh, and the Acting Assistant Commissioner, Lisa Hardeman. Lisa, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Daisy. How are you going? Yeah, great. Um, I say footy royalty... Uh, because I'm hoping we can shed the extra little tagline of women's footy royalty off your title. (laughs) Um, Those that have been involved or followed women's footy for a long time will know your name, but I'm here because I'm hoping we can tell your story a little bit more to the broader public because I think your name should be known like we know the names Barassi, Brownlow, Sheedy, Blight... Hardiman should be up in that list. <laughs> Thanks, Daisy. That's a, that's a huge honour. <laughs> um, I want to start with your own footy journey. Um, when m- millions of people have tuned in over the journey of the AFL exhibition games and maybe were finding women's footy for the very first time, they would have seen that it was your name on the cup that was presented, the, the Hanson Hardiman Cup. Yep. yep. Why is that? How do you find your, how do you come that your name lands on the the cup presented to the inaugural AFL-sanctioned women's match?
2: Um, That came about because uh, Barb Hampson, who is a a Victorian, was uh, working in Western Australia and was the president for uh, the Western Australian League, and I was president at the time in Victoria. Uh, We'd been playing uh, South Australia back-to-back for a number of years, and Um, Barb uh, said uh, maybe we should get together and expand this a bit further. And so Barb and I started the first interstate competition that ran uh, every year in different states for a number of years. Uh, And so when the the exhibition games between Melbourne and and the Western Bulldogs were being discussed and a a name for a cup... uh, I'm not quite sure who suggested it, but um, very honoured that uh, Barb and myself were recognised in that way.
1: So essentially, you guys were responsible for getting the, I guess, the seeds of a national competition planted in getting the first interstate game
2: up off the ground. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So uh, it was the first carnival because the the first interstate games were between Victoria and South Australia uh, in about 1982, I think it was. Sorry, 92. Um, but this was a, a, a carnival with um, a number of states represented um, and we eventually, uh, you know, from running it year on year, uh, it got Queensland involved and New South Wales involved and the ADF played uh, for a couple of them. So, yeah, so the, the carnival concept um, happened and a bit, of, a bit of hard work to get it up and running, but we got it there.
1: Take us back a few steps before that. What was it like playing women's footy in the 80s and 90s?
2: Well, I'll take it back even further. I actually, um, my my football learning started as a, a child. I was the only girl out of a family of boys, cousins and, and brothers. And um, so I had a choice, um, go and play with the boys and learn footy and cricket or play by myself. So that was a pretty easy decision <laughs> to make. I um, actually followed my older brother down to um, his footy training when he started playing underage and I trained with the team and uh, they applied to the league at the time for me to play but uh, without even seeing whether I could match it or not, it was just a flat-out no, because women don't play footy and they can't play footy. I became the boundary umpire, so that was pretty much the start of, um, of my playing. Um, a number of years later... Uh, I was playing state league netball and um, one of my netball colleagues um, and fellow, she worked also in the police force, saw this ad in the newspaper um, for women to come down to train and neither one of us knew there was a league. This was 1988. Um, So we went down, loved it uh, and that was with Fairfield um, when they used to play down near the old women's prison. Uh, So that was the start of my football career in 1988 and there was four teams. Uh, and it was pretty rough and tumble but um, uh, I stuck at it and played from then on.
1: Um, it's amazing listening to that because it, it's almost <laughs> the exact same story for me but about, oh, I don't want to get this wrong, <laughs> but 20, 20, 30 years later. earlier. Yeah, well, later. <laughs> yeah, um, or later. Even down to the point where I ended up running the boundary <laughs> for Bright as well. I... So, I mean that's staggering in itself. Why did it remain that way, in your opinion, for 30 years? Um, well, the league... On, I, I, before you go, i better make sure that it is 30. When did you... When, when are we talking for you?
2: Uh, we're talking... Um, well, uh, we'd be... I would have been 10 or 11, so that's uh, 48 years
1: ago. I'm oh, 58 okay. now. Yeah, right. So I'm talking about... 20 years ago, so yeah, Hmm. it's nearly 30 years.
2: (laughs) Yeah, um, I just think, um, certainly through my my, um, growing up, um, there was very distinct lines between what's a boy's sport and what's a girl's sport, you know, that's why I went off to play netball and I had a relatively successful netball career playing um, state uh, under 18, under 21 and and state league and then um, as soon as I found footy, uh, netball dropped off pretty quick. (laughs) then uh, that Fairfield team wasn't uh, wasn't going so well at the time and, and so the year after that I joined the Scorpions, which is one of the legendary teams from early on. Um, the Victorian women's uh, Football League at that stage had only been going for a few short years and was was growing legs. Um, my first year in '89 with the Scorpions, we won a Premiership and I won the Helen Lambert which uh, you know very well having uh, won a few of them and uh, uh, so you know my love then of, of women's footy was about how do we make this bigger and better and um, so I dedicated most of the 90s to um, how to be the best player um, but then I went obviously into the administration side and, and tried to grow the sport that way.
1: So what was it about footy that while you're off playing netball and quite successfully like you said, what, what pulled you back to footy?
2: Uh, I just think that uh, it's the ultimate game to play you know every skill that um, a person can develop and use is on a footy field you've got the space and the freedom that you don't have on a netball court Um, it's a bigger team environment so the relationships that you form are are really positive and and, um, but for me it's just the adrenaline of running out on the ground and having a kick and just really enjoying it And, and that Started from me as a young kid, obviously playing with my cousins and my and my brothers. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think footy's the ultimate sport you can play.
1: Um, what was the reaction like when you did start playing footy? What What would you be met with when you told people you played
2: football? Girls don't play footy. Um, and and my grandfather, especially, even though he was the one that taught me how to play with along. Uh, as a kid, um, the, the very first time he came along to watch was um, we're playing in a grand final, and uh, he he was uh, a little bit sceptical at the start, and then at halftime we were we were losing, and he pulled me aside and told me that. Pull my socks up and have a crack, and and um, <laughs> He changed his <laughs> When uh, when the game was over, I think he was just about the first one out and uh, tapped <laughs> me on the back. So, uh, he, uh, he he played footy himself um, at quite a high standard, not quite VFL, but I think VFL reserves. He played, so he wasn't a bad footballer in his day. But yeah, proudest punch when he f- finally saw the girls running around.
1: How rewarding was that to get, I guess, his endorsement, given he. would Kind of been a skeptic and doubted whether you should be out there, and I can imagine there would have been a bit of stigma around, I guess, that opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And then to then see him running out onto the ground to to get amongst it, how how rewarding. Take us there. Well,
2: I think um, his opinion of women's footy was would have been um, the opinion of most people through the through the '90s around. Uh footage played by men um but I think also he epitomized if you actually come down and saw a game mm. and looked at it from the perspective that it's women out there um, at the peak of their fitness and um playing a game that's really exciting, it gets you in regardless of you know how much of a skeptic you are, although I have you know heard a few that will never change their minds but uh, for me uh What I've seen is once people get involved, um, they change their minds.
1: You're listening to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. Up next, Lisa reveals the financial struggles they had to keep the women's game growing and the compromises that some states had to make to get any sponsorship they could. She'll also detail the raw emotion she experienced when she found out that AFLW was officially going to happen.
0: On SEN... This is Grit, with Daisy Pearce.
1: Welcome back to This is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. My guest this week is women's football pioneer Lisa Hardeman, one of the key figures in the establishment of the VFLW and AFLW. I caught up with her at Victoria Police headquarters, where she works as a police commander and is currently the acting assistant commissioner. What made you want to get involved in the off-field kind of administration and the lobbying to... To push for better? Because
2: I could see the potential of the sport. Um, I could see the passion of um, the people that were involved um, in running clubs, in running the league. Um, You know back in the 1990s um, it was all volunteers, volunteer everybody and um, to see the clubs thrive as they did you know, we lost a few clubs through the 90s, through that whole volunteer overload sort of stuff where too few were asked to do too much. But then once we got to about the mid 90s, I reckon we, we um, really leveled out and we've still got a lot of those teams around. So it was really hard to run some teams and I just thought the league needed to be um, on a really good path with really good people. So we, we had a quite a, a stable board for a number of years. Um, brought in sort of some really um, good people like Debbie Lee who'd gone off and started her own club previously and then followed on um, as as president after me. You know, Anne Rulton, who is the best treasurer I think I've ever seen. (laughs) She Um, still
1: messages me to let (laughs) me know I owe her $5 for a state trip bus ticket. Yeah, yeah, that'd be (laughs) it. I'm only joking. So, you know,
2: having somebody uh, as passionate as Anne um, as our treasurer, which meant that we'd be able to become more financially stable. Like uh, when our first trips to South Australia were happening early in the 90s, we um, had so much money we caught trains and buses, and you know stayed in um, the cheapest accommodation and just to, to get to South Australia. Mm-hmm. But you know by the time um, Anne had put a few dollars in the bank, we were able to at least fly our state team around the country uh, in in some sort of style and stay at places that would allow them to to perform at their peak so um you know annie rilton has a a lot to do with uh, how women's footy uh, was able to to start to make steps forward because we had the financial security um the other bit about the finance stuff and which meant that we we're able to really grow the sport and i i stepped aside by then was Um, When Susan Alberti came along, um, she was one of the most significant changes in our sport because she, um, through her own donation, enabled us to hire um, an administration person which then allowed us to um, continue to grow the game to the extent that um, they couldn't say that we didn't exist anymore.
1: Talk. I want to talk about a few more of those state trip stories. <laughs> I've heard a few about catching the train to Adelaide and yeah. that kind of thing. There's one that meant to me that is a bit funny but probably more a little bit sad in that at one stage you had to kind of compromise your own um, beliefs and sign on a sponsor that was a strip club because they were... I'm not sure if you remember it, but um,
2: at some oh, point... I do remember it.
1: Um, it. It compromised what a lot of the women in the team believed in and stood for, but if it meant that they could go on a state trip, <laughs> they were
2: prepared to... I, can't, I don't know that it was Victoria that signed on the strip club. I think it was one of the interstate games, and when we've run out onto their ground, there was this big billboard at one end of the ground advertising this strip joint. So um, my... Uh, recollection is it wasn't Victoria but okay. it was, in order to run the, the carnival it was, was it South Australia or Western Australia but in order to run the carnival yeah, they were sponsored by a strip club <laughs> just, you just would not even think of it now. How,
1: how difficult do you think that would have been for some of the women in the team? It would have been really difficult
2: I know there was a lot of us that just when we looked at it laughed <laughs> um, but uh, I, I just think that uh back then um states would do whatever they needed to do to to fund uh and and getting sponsorship as you know Daisy Mm. is really really difficult at the best of times um let alone when you're still just trying to grow the sport but uh, i do remember the billboard now luckily it wasn't us
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i guess like you said it's just people doing what they can desperate to get an opportunity Mm. which is the sad bit for me that they had to compromise Oh, absolutely, that, yeah. Um, I did laugh as well, so <laughs> I'm with you on that one.
2: But thankfully, we've moved past. We that. have moved past it. I, uh, you know, just uh, I think that closest we've got was when I was playing at um, Fairfield from around '96 um, or. Uh, Brazilian Butterfly, I think, was one of our weekly sponsors where, you know, if you're the best player on the ground, you, you, you got a, a wax from Brazilian Butterfly. <laughs> I think that still
1: happens. They're well received these days. <laughs> um, so as your what, – what qualities did you have to have to endure that period where you were really passionate about pushing for change and pushing for more opportunities, but – Imagine it would have taken some serious patience and determination. But what do you think sits within you that meant that you could kind of keep fronting up yeah, with the question. doors being slammed in your face?
2: Um, I think uh, you build a resilience um, around the knockbacks because we'd had it all of my my time I'd been playing football. Um, that uh, you know you just had to have your vision. And not lose sight of that vision, and just keep bit by bit. So the 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 starting of the reserves comp, which meant that we got more people involved. So that was told us as a as a board, as a committee, that if we can continue to attract people and teams, that we would continue to get to the vision that we thought we'd get to. And um, so that that real um, where are we going and how are we going to get there. Uh, yeah if there's a hurdle you, you jump it and you go okay we, we've just got to keep going and, and that was the, the resilience of the, the executive that we had at the time um, and certainly the passion of a, of a Debbie Lee coming after me carried carried on that work and you just have to keep going and, and I suppose my, my job as well um, gives you a bit of a thick skin and, <laughs> um, and you, you take knockbacks a bit on the chin and just keep Picking yourself up, and that's what we had to do back
1: then. When did you see the the wheels kind of get into motion, um, heading towards a, a change? And like, well, when did you see a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel that things were starting to move?
2: Um, I think certainly when we started um, the interstate games um, against South Australia, because it meant um, it gave players in Victoria something bigger to aim for, and um, and then on top of that. The carnival, um, which which then started to take the game uh, around the country, uh, which automatically makes people start to um, open their eyes. For instance, um, I remember coaching the Victorian team on, on one of the best trips I've ever done, which was up in, in Darwin, and um, the AFL was actually sponsoring that tournament mm. because they, they had a... Um, team of people in darwin anyway doing their development stuff with the northern territory uh, and they actually got on board and certainly sponsored the, the carnival in darwin and um, you know so i think once we took it around the, the country the afl had to open their eyes mm-hmm. and and even if it was just um on the development stuff but back then also they um they started uh, the youth girls uh, on the, on, that was their own product, but mm-hmm. we'd pushed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the Nikki Graves' and Shiloh Curtises ran those programs for a long time. and um, So once they started to get involved, be it in Northern Territory or in a youth level, it was inevitable that they would progress.
1: Thanks for listening to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. Coming up, we'll find out plenty more about Lisa Hardiman when she completes the AFL Records Pocket Profile.
0: On SEN, this is Grit with Daisy Pierce.
1: Welcome back to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. This week I'm at Victoria Police HQ with Acting Assistant Commissioner Lisa Hardiman, a legend of women's footy in Victoria and one of the driving forces in the creation of AFLW. Lisa's playing days were over when we got to realise our dream of playing AFL footy, so I thought I'd get her to do the AFL Records Players' Pocket Profile. All right, well, I'm going to change the pace a little bit. Yep. Because... I want to talk about your policing career. So okay. before we get into what might be a heavy chat, <laughs> are you familiar with the footy record? Yes. Are you? Do you usually buy a footy record when you go to the footy? <laughs> um, not always, because I
2: uh, I actually know who all my players are. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you don't need it.
1: <laughs> well, we're going to do the pocket profile style question. Okay, sure. Um, what was your nickname, or is your nickname?
2: Uh, at footy, Hardy. Yeah. There's, I reckon there's people that don't ever know who Lisa Hardyman is. <laughs> they just know me by Hardy.
1: Quite fitting then, given the description <laughs> of your uh, playing style, Hardy. Um, what about at work? Do you have a nickname?
2: Uh, no, I tend to, because of...
1: Not now that you've got your title. You, <laughs> <laughs> you had to take a brave nah. person to call you a nickname in here. No, I tend
2: to, tend to get boss. That's, that's about <laughs> the extent of it.
1: Um, any pre-game superstitions or routine? Uh,
2: yep. I used to make sure that... Um, I wore the same undies, um, or the same colour undies. Yeah. So I had that a, a set that. A were good luck pair. A good luck pair. <laughs> good luck colour.
1: Yeah. Um, which uh, and. <laughs> what made them good luck in the first place? Oh, probably I. Kick ten of them one day. Wore them <laughs> and,
2: and won a premiership. I don't know, but um, <laughs> and um, the, uh, and I'd like like when we were getting ready, I would sort of disappear just for a couple of minutes of. White time. Party time.
1: Party time. <laughs> um, what's the greatest individual effort you've ever seen on the footy
2: field? Greatest individual effort? Oh, West- Western Bulldogs winning the 2016 premiership and then the 2017 women's premiership. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's uh greatest individual. Um, that's your greatest memory, though, is it? Those two moments? Oh, I've been avid Western Bulldogs, yeah. absolutely. Um, it's not so much an individual. We One of the trips we... Um, we went over to South Australia for and South Australia looked like beating us for the first time ever and I was the captain and uh, at at three quarter time just after Kerry Saunders had finished her address just got all the girls together and and just willed them for you know 20 minutes of of effort Um, and um, the team rose uh, and Bernie Marantelli, I think it was, kicked the winning goal, and um, South Australia were, were skiting about the fact that um, they were, they were, it was their game. But I remember being interviewed after the game, and I said they haven't beaten us, and they never will. <laughs>
1: have they yet? No, I don't think they have. I don't have think they, they have. <laughs> Hello to all our South Australian listeners. <laughs> What's the best rule in footy?
2: Back to our pocket profile. Oh, the best rule in footy. Uh, the head is sacrosanct, you mm-hmm. know, just protect the head. Uh, it, it has to be because it's the health and wellbeing of, of everybody that plays footy.
1: Has that changed in your time? Was <laughs> the culture different around concussion?
2: Uh, yeah. Oh, God. I, even um, with VFL, as well as the, the women playing, they put them back on the footy field. Like There was no concussion test. It was like, can you say your name? You're back on. <laughs> um, and so... I think for me the best rule in footy is protect the head.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm laughing not because I don't agree and don't agree that it's important but I'm laughing because I've got a memory of Peter Searle coaching Darabin. I'm in the team probably 17 years old playing against Melbourne Uni at Uni Main Oval and my dad hassling Pete from over the fence after I'd been
2: concussed to
1: put me back out. <laughs> Thanks, there, Dad. <laughs> t- telling her that I'm all right, get her back on, she'll yeah. be fine. So yeah, um, thankfully it's come a long way.
2: So I reckon that's the best rule because it 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 really is the health and well being of everybody the place for it. Yeah.
1: And we're learning more and more about
2: it too. Absolutely. So. Uh, and the worst rule? The worst rule oh the one that they've just changed, the that Jack Reed Studs won. up. The studs <laughs> up. Oh, I Totally agree with it in the, the Toby Green bit where he absolutely got...
1: Uh, Your man Darrell at House, the time. Yeah. House,
2: um And so, you know, in that scenario, but what happened on the weekend, so I'm, I'm glad they've changed yeah, that. Yeah, I
1: think a bit of common sense applied there. Yeah. Um, how many games of footy would you watch on a normal weekend? <laughs> um, when you're not working, of
2: course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or do they
1: put it on at the station? Do you get to watch footy if things
2: aren't... Uh, oh, Depends where where, yeah. where you are. Um, so I would easily, on a bad weekend, watch four.
1: So on a bad weekend you see yeah, on nearly a bad... half of them. <laughs> um, sometimes it depends. You should get a job in media.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I love it. I, I uh, would watch um, every game if I was allowed to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, Favourite? Football TV show? Frumper? Mm-hmm. Favourite commentator? And I'm no expectations with this question, I'm just reading what's there. <laughs>
2: Favourite commentator? Um, I do like the fact that yourself and, and more women mm. are getting involved, um, and so I'd like to see that to continue. Uh, Bruce McAvaney, yeah. he's just the Genius. most professional. Um, so. Yeah. He, he's one of my favourite commentators regardless of the sport. You know, like, mm. he could be commentating on darts. and <laughs> 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 But, uh, you know, when he goes to the Olympics and, you know, yeah. footy, just he, he's, um, he's, he's probably the best. But I do want to see more women because I think you bring something new into the commentary as opposed to what we've put up with for years. Yeah,
1: and I th- I'd add to that diversity in general because I've loved – watching Gilbert McAdam this year. Oh yeah, yeah, he's um, been good. He brings a rawness that I think gives it all of us license to just be yourself. So yeah. I've loved watching him and he's got the utmost respect of all the players. He's Yeah, really no, he's been to really good. To. And yeah. just a different voice. Yeah. Different life experiences mean that he brings something different. So I guess it's a great um, Yeah. Play.
2: I think um, that footy on T V, so Fox and, and and Seven, are bringing that diversity. Yeah. I haven't quite seen matched on uh, radio commentary.
1: Mm-hmm. Um favourite meal the night before a big game. Or maybe these days a big big day at the office. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um my favourite meal before I played um was I generally try and get a pasta. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think somebody had told me that pasta was good the night before you played. So generally tried to get a pasta in. Um uh and um, now my favourite meal would be. I just love Vietnamese food, so um, <laughs> I I'd uh, I wouldn't mind a bit of Vietnamese before before I uh, went along to the footy. Um,
1: I'm going to pick out a few little ones now, so it doesn't go too long. Um, who's the mace? No, the most famous person you've ever met. The most famous person I've
2: ever met. Um, oh gosh. Um, I'm not sure.
1: Most famous person you've ever arrested? <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, okay. That's not in the record, it I've just sprung to one. mind. Carl and Roberta Williams. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Tell us
1: about this story.
2: Oh, uh, I was uh, a sergeant and um, we'd started a, uh, I was in an undercover unit and we'd started a, a quite a small drug job and um, the small drug job... Um, continued to grow and um, this is before they were famous and uh, I got a phone call from the homicide squad saying um, what are you doing looking at Carl Williams and I said it's part of a drug job who's Carl Williams and that, that they were looking for at him at the time for a, a previous murder um, anyway the job started to grow and um we continued to buy uh, drugs and guns and a whole raft of things and we were setting up for a, a, a big $100,000 drug buy and uh, when we got word that um, Carl and Roberta's daughter Dakota was there was at her christening, was he, he was going to be taken out. So the day before the christening was planned, we arranged the big job and Carl and Roberta were sitting in their car with our $100,000 and we were sitting there with their drugs. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that so was... So you were in the car? Uh, no, I was coordinating the job. Yeah, you were.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, so, yeah, that was uh, um, the biggest job I've ever done. And um, and then, obviously, Carl and Roberta went on to be infamous yeah. in the underworld. That job got Roberta her first um, jail sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, well, we could sit and
1: talk about these stories for a long time. <laughs> well, there's a few. Maybe we make way with some of the footy chat. But uh, <laughs> the uh, pocket profile segment just took a bit of a turn, but it's a perfect segue into me wanting to talk about your career, and it's quite fitting that. Um, you provide this dual purpose because Victoria Police are of course great sponsors of our show, This Is Grit. Thanks for listening to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. Up next Lisa will share with us how she not only blazed a trail for women's football, but also in the Victoria Police.
0: On SEN, this is grit. With Daisy Pierce.
1: Welcome back to This Is Grit. You're more suited than you might think to join Victoria Police. Apply now. My guest this week is women's football trailblazer Lisa Hardiman, who not only broke ceilings for women in football, but in her professional life as a Victorian police officer. And you grew up wanting to be a
2: policeman. <laughs> uh, I did. I <laughs> um, you know, thought uh, as I was growing up um, that uh, being a policeman would be quite a good thing to do.
1: Uh, so... is that what, at the, sorry, I just want to touch on the policeman thing. Were there any female police officers when you were aspiring to be one?
2: Not that I saw. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that there were women in the police force, but they weren't um, as obvious. There wasn't very many of them. Um, And uh, so I was finishing school and uh, thought I'd uh, ring up and find out how to get into this police force. And so I rang up and was told... Um, as a, as a female I had to be 21 and if I was a male I could be 18 and a half. so off I went and worked in a bank for a couple of years.
1: As usual with my brain it goes straight to why?
2: <laughs> uh, I, I asked the question back then, it was just the way it was, uh, with, with police men there was a, a cadet system that had operated for a number of years so that they could join the cadets at 16 and then at 18, um, they went into the academy. Um, uh, I, I don't know why, why it was different for women, apart from the fact that, um, you know, recruiting of women was still relatively newish um, <laughs> and not a lot of us were going in. Um, so I went and worked in a bank for, like, two banks um, and got held up in, in both of them at gunpoint. So I thought it was probably safer <laughs> then to go back and see if I could join the police oh. force.
1: Well. Um... What was the environment like coming into the police force at the time? Was it conducive to women, I guess, thriving?
2: No. Um, no, so um, there, there wasn't a lot of women um, in the organisation and, and certainly when I graduated from the academy I thought if I could become a detective that's a pretty good career for a woman because you just couldn't see women in higher places mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and my very first police station, there were, there were men that didn't want to work with me because they weren't used to having women in, the, in their station environment. Because up until a few years before I joined, the women had their own police women's division. And they worked in there only with women and the men only worked with men. And then once they started to um, combine them and let the women out of the, the cages that they were in, uh, there were a lot of men that that didn't want to work with us. Um, You know, they thought that we wouldn't be able to handle ourselves in a fight, and um, so it was really quite a a backward environment. You know, even police stations that didn't accommodate for women change rooms and things like that.
1: So there's another layer of that thick skin we were talking about before.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you you had to um, really be uh, determined to to do. Your job the best way you could and and get on with the blokes and uh put up with um the the blokey environment uh and not kick kick up too much of a stink because yeah
1: how do you get that balance right um i guess trying to stand up for what you think's right but not to the point where you get ostracized or
2: yeah it's it's really um a, a fine line t- to walk on. And, uh, what I tended to do was was just try to be myself, and mm-hmm. you know that thick skin you spoke about. You know, if there was um, something that was going on in a conversation in the police station, just go yeah, let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, so early on, yeah, there there was not a lot of women, and there certainly wasn't a lot of role models.
1: Well, it's changed now. It certainly um, has have you been a part of that change or what have you observed over the well you've nearly been in the force for 40 years. years yeah 36 You're years coming uh, up four decades what what have you seen change over that time to the point now where women are very visible
2: yeah um so I, it, the more women that we recruited um the the better it got because we it wasn't like you were the only one that mm-hmm. was in a particular place um you know, I had... Uh, I did get my dream job, as I thought, of um, of becoming a detective, but unfortunately my sergeant didn't think that women could be detectives or should even be in the police force, so I was ostracised out of what was then my dream job. Um, so uh, then for me it was... Um, a, um, a mentor, a woman who became my mentor, who was the first at doing a whole raft of things in the organisation, who became um, one of my, my superintendent, and she's the one that really said to me, you know, you've got a great career here, and and started to, to give me a little bit of a shove, and um, advised me to go off and do my Masters, like I didn't even finish Year 12, um, and here I am at Monash University <laughs> doing my Masters, and um, and... You know she continued to challenge me to keep striving for that that next that next position. Um, and it was it, one of the funniest stories was i um, I got uh, an interview to be the officer in charge of a police station, so I was senior sergeant, and I was doing my um, supervisory rounds. Um, at about the time the interviews were being done and I went into this station and there was this sergeant there that said, I hear you're in for the job. And I said, "Uh, yeah, I am. He goes, oh, you won't get it. There's plenty of good blokes here. And I said, oh, well, we'll see how we go. And he goes, well, if you get it, I'm never going to call a skirt boss. And I went, oh, we'll see how we go. Well, I got that job. (laughs) And the very first day I walk into that police station, he's there. And I walked up to him and I said, I don't care when anybody else calls me. You will call me boss until I give you permission to call me something else. Um, by the time I left that station, he'd actually come around and, and thought that women could be bosses and that women could lead.
1: So how long did it take him to he could call you something
2: else? Uh, I reckon it was about 18 months.
1: And what was he allowed to call you? Uh,
2: then he Hardy? Would... <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, no, he, would, he didn't call me Lisa but um yeah just and his attitude Mm. was very very much around that uh I'll have women here as constables but they'll never be my boss Mm. um so uh, does that
1: still exist now
2: I'm sure there are, are some people certainly um that we had the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission report that was released in 2015 that says um, that was not very complimentary of of the Victoria Police as a um, as a safe workplace. Um, we're about to launch phase three of of that report um, that says we, we've got better, but we've got a long way to go mm-hmm. so there are still pockets of the mm-hmm. organization that um that do think like that sergeant that um you know don't think that women um should be getting promoted uh, but we we've, we've now got you know we've had christine nixon as the first chief mm-hmm. commissioner um we've um, had Lucinda Nolan as a deputy commissioner we've now got Wendy Steendam as, as a deputy commissioner, we've increased um, the number of women in senior leadership positions since the 2015 report come out and that's by not giving them the job over a well-deserving male, it's actually providing them opportunities to show that they can do the job mm-hmm. and then rewarding them with that job and, and certainly um, for me uh, I... Uh, got my inspector's position uh in 2008 um i worked at um port phillip which was as an inspector just amazing you know we had huge things like st kilda festival the second biggest new year's eve outside of melbourne and this little race called the grand prix so really (laughs) big events that um, were just amazing um and it was really interesting when I finally got promoted to uh, to superintendent, I went back out to um, the western suburbs and the sergeant that had the crack at me about the skirt was still working out there. So um, <laughs> it was really interesting going back out there.
1: You touched on um, how important having a mentor and someone that believed in you was in your early career. Do you find yourself wanting to play that role now for the women you come across in the organisation?
2: Yeah, um, certainly uh, since... I've I've mentored people throughout my my leaderships, went from being a senior, when I was a senior sergeant even, uh, and now I I have a number of people that um, I mentor, um, mostly women, um, there with a few um, of my male colleagues in as well uh, who asked me to mentor them because they didn't actually want to be mentored by um, other men. Mm-hmm. Which was really interesting. Which is
1: the power of diversity, really. It's not just yeah, absolutely women for women. It's just different um, people respond to different styles, I yeah. suppose.
2: Now, I've, I've luckily um, had a, a really good track record with um, some of the people that I've mentored getting promoted um, and, and developing their own careers. So that's really... That's one of the best parts of, of my mm-hmm. job. Uh, it's a whole, you know, sort of coaching stuff mm-hmm. coming back, I think. Um, but I... I really believe in in uh, in playing it forward uh, and so i've had a number of opportunities and a number of people who have supported me and so i think it's um it's part of my job and part of my responsibility to make sure that i continue to help people achieve what they need to achieve um in their career but in, in life as well
1: if there's someone out there listening to you and had previously considered being involved in the force or maybe now is considering themselves what would you say like what's the most rewarding part of the job and why despite all those challenges early days and barriers have you been here for 36
2: years uh because it's it's the best job in the world um you come to work every day and it's rare that you would experience the same thing you know there there is um some absolutely fantastic things that you share uh and and see and do uh the fact that we're helping the community so much really really is important we're recruiting at the moment um through uh, some significant government funding and it's just a fantastic job for a woman there's equal pay um we have um a lot of flexibility we've we've bought into the workplace um it's a really supportive place to work uh and uh Uh, Mick Miller, uh, who who died and his funeral I went to last week, uh, when I graduated, said uh, uh, to my whole squad, take a seat for the best show in the world. And and it really is taking a seat for the best show in the world because you you just see and do and experience so much.
1: Last one, because I know you've got a police force to run. (laughs) Um, What's your opinion on the fact that no women sit in the AFL Hall of Fame?
2: Uh, It has to change. You know, it... I know that the the argument at this stage would be that we haven't played it long enough, but we have. We've been playing it. We haven't been playing AFLW for a long time, but there's a whole lot of VFL people that sit in that Hall of Fame, and um, there are some absolute guns that throughout our history that should be recognised, and um, it's not just about three years of AFL. It's longer than that, and we have a history, and our, our history needs to be acknowledged afl hall of fame it used to be the vfl hall of fame it needs women in it Mm -hmm. because otherwise it's a boys club
1: um lisa i hope we see your name in there (laughs) hopefully it's a matter of time not if we see your name in there um thank you very much for your time but more so thanks so much for the the work that you've done in giving us all the platform and laying the foundations for the aflw that we now celebrate it's a pleasure thanks Daisy. (laughs) Thanks for listening to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. A huge thank you to Lisa for your time, for sharing your story, but also for your contribution to building the foundations for AFLW at a time where there weren't as many believers. It's a contribution that should continue to be acknowledged as the AFLW grows. I guess we should say, side note, thanks for helping to keep our neighbourhood safe as well. My guest next week is Alini Gluftis, the first female field umpire in the AFL.